Welcome to the Sports Analytics Podcast, your source of information you can use along your journey in the world of sports analytics. Through interviews with experts and thought leaders, we'll uncover how data science, artificial intelligence, and analysis tools are being used for competitive advantage in sports. We'll also explore industry trends and career opportunities. So now, hold on to your data, folks, because this program is ready to launch. It will take the computer a few moments to compile the information. Here is your host, Terry Frederick. Hello, listeners. Today, we're going to take a look at how research, innovation, video, and data analysis is being used by the U.S. Soccer Federation to gain a competitive advantage. But first, I want to take a minute and say thank you to all my listeners and guests. The response to the show has been a real surprise as my download numbers keep growing. Thanks, everyone. Okay, let's get to the show. Welcome to the Sports Analytics Podcast today. I have a very special guest. He is the Director of Sporting Analytics at the U.S. Soccer Federation, and I'm very pleased to welcome to the show today, Tyler Heaps. Tyler, welcome to the show. Perhaps you could give our audience a little bit of background about your job there at uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation and a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, absolutely, Terry. First off, thanks for having me. Um, Obviously, in these unprecedented times, uh, it's a little bit different uh, than what I normally would be doing right now and being on the road. But it's also also a little bit of a breath of fresh air. So as you said, um, currently the director of sporting analytics at U.S. Soccer. Um, That essentially means I oversee video and data analysis from a sport performance side, um, as well as kind of research and innovation and the technology standpoint. So Working directly with our national teams, largely the coaches, um, but also uh, talent identification, coaching education, et cetera, um, to essentially implement objective information and video into our workflows. So I've been with the Federation now for about four and a half years. Um, Growing up, loved the game of soccer, was always playing it, um, was a math and computer science major at university and just kind of fell into this. And it's, it's all worked out. Wow. So this is men's and women's soccer. It's the whole U.S. Soccer Federation. That Correct. Yep. Right. So I've had the opportunity to travel with the two senior teams, but that also includes all of our youth teams. So we have U14 through U20, as well as each group has a U23 team as well. Um, so it's working and overseeing the analysis from all, every single one of those teams. Wow. I'm interested in circling back around into – you know, how analytics is being used at the lower levels, and perhaps we can come back to that. The first thing I'd like to discuss with you, Tyler, is, you know, how does, you know, sports analytics factor into, you know, how you're using it and, and turning it into success in the soccer federation, you know, and, and the different aspects of the game and game prep, roster building, player development, you know, athlete performance, you know, you know, how do you boil all that down into actionable information such that team, the team can get a competitive advantage? Yeah, well, first off, I think you hit the nail on the head there and probably just answered some of that question with some of those things that you just said. But I think we look at it from a little bit um, of a couple different lenses. One, I think opposition and self-analysis is obviously big in this space. So 
using data as well as video to start looking at historical trends of what not only our opponents may be doing, but also ourselves trying to identify strengths and weaknesses um, of certain areas of, of our game. Um, largely, again, the automation of video. So using data to quickly swift through a number of different games, whether we're looking for how teams are creating their chances or what they look like in terms of how they're going to build up against us. Um, and then as well, that also goes down to the youth level. So again, as you mentioned, and we can go into more detail in a bit about youth data and trying to implement those same processes. As you mentioned, the resources are of less, but if you have data, obviously you can start to automate some of that stuff and produce reports um, and things like that. The other one uh, is player pool monitoring and tracking. So one, just being we're from a federation standpoint, we don't have our players all the time. So the easiest way to, to describe that is making sure we know when our players are playing and how often they're playing. Um, and then what they're asked to do in those club environments and how that may differ from our own. So when we start looking at scouting a player, obviously that played on the weekend, we can very easily pull the data from that game and see high level where that player may have been involved, what they might've been doing. Um, and then also pull the video clips along with that. So that's something that we're constantly doing and continuing to try to improve in our, in our current processes. And then from a federation standpoint, bigger picture trends in the game. What is the game of soccer looking like and how is it changing? And I think we've seen a lot of that in recent. You obviously see it in the NBA with the um, evolution of the three-point shot uh, and things like uh, that. Yes, mm-hmm. I don't think there's going to be anything as drastic in soccer like that. However, you start to see teams focusing more on set pieces and hiring specific coaches in regards to that standpoint. So how some of that is changing and how we can kind of use data to look at that. And then um, the physical and the health side. And this is something that while we do play a little bit of a role and we also have experts in the high performance department that are dealing with this, obviously, on a daily basis. So um, we talk about GPS and injury data and things like that. We help out in terms of centralizing that and making sure that we can uh, combine it with different sources, but working with that to see what our players are coming into camp like. Do we need to ramp them up for a session before their full go? Um, Because they all are coming from different environments and some of them are flying across the world for that. Uh, And then the last piece is live and in-game. I think that um, we've implemented a process in the last two years about – obviously streaming video live to the bench, but also collecting subjective data to be able to make impacts in games. So making sure that at halftime, we're able to show specific clips to the team as well as players um, that kind of have our ideas there. And so if we do need to make a tactical change, we're able to do so. So those are kind of some of the key areas I think that we're utilizing it um, on a daily basis. Yes. uh, Are the, is some of the data that, is collected and that you're using, you mentioned GPS. So we're, we're, I think you're inferring wearable devices. Yep. No, that's correct. So there's a few different um, uh, data sources in the game of soccer. One is obviously wearables. That is largely physical data. Um, Event data is the other probably biggest and most popular. So that's all events that are happening on the ball. That's anywhere from 18 to 2,500 events per 90 minute game. And so that's everything from, shots to passes to tackles and defensive actions but as i'm sure you're well aware the game of soccer there's a lot more than just happening on the ball so the Mm -hmm. evolution of that is tracking data which is something that you see um, in basketball and things like that but the soccer world it's coming and a lot of leagues are now signing um, big big deals on it but that will be 22 player tracking so so tracking everybody's Mm -hmm. position on the field 
And that I would very much say is the new shiny object in this space. Um, us from a federation level have a little bit of a challenge in order to obtain that one because we don't have a home stadium. We are very much a traveling circus. We will go and play at football stadiums. We'll play at, at soccer stadiums around the country as well as around the world. So a little bit more difficult for us to be able to do that. Um, and then there's also subjective coding, which I still see as data. So if we're tagging phases of play or things that are important to us in our game model, we then are able to take that internally and turn it into obviously whether it's an XML or put it into an internal database to, to start to track some of that stuff as well. So, so that leads me to the question when you mentioned, you know, the, the coding, um, it sounds like, and it's happening in all sports and certainly in soccer that the, the types of individuals that you need and that expertise, uh, you know, uh, sports data scientists, uh, web developers, it sounds like that, that staff of people is, is in need and growing in what you're doing. I, I would 100% agree with that. I think you see a lot of people um, publicly now on Twitter and things like that doing a lot of this good work. Um, and it's, again, it's the combination of the understanding of the game um, as well as those technical skill sets that you that you talk about. So whether that's coding or um, video uh, cutting and being able to, to go through those processes. So I would 100% agree. I think it is an area. And, and when I was in math and computer science, I, I was one of, we had very small classes. Um, and it's an area that I think we can continue to try to grow and kind of put that out there. If you're a math major, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a math teacher. You can go different routes in that. And that's what I've, when I've talked to a lot of people on this break and, and I've had the opportunity to do that, that's what I kind of try to echo. There's, there's jobs out there that are obviously in need. And this skill set, I think, is, is very much one that will continue to grow. Yeah, I see that theme over and over as I get further and further into doing this podcast. I just had um, the assistant general manager for the Washington Nationals on, and he echoed exactly the same thing. His background, math, science, economics, and he loves baseball and started that as an intern. And then lo and behold, he's the assistant general manager for the Nets. So, you know, for those folks seeking a career in it, it's hard. It's a lot of work. Uh, you got to figure out how to make a difference and help a team win uh, ultimately or get better. And uh, there's opportunity there for, for folks to do that. So absolutely. Uh, another question I have for you is um, we've got this massive amount of data that's being collected. It's only going to grow. Artificial intelligence going to play a major role. Machine learning, all that technology how how does someone how, how does your organization put in place a process to, to boil all that information down into an actionable piece of information that players can use are receptive to and coaches can use yeah, I think I think that's part of my role. So I, I would. Oh, hope that, okay. Please share. <laughs> I would hope that I'd have a little bit of understanding of that, but I mean, it is. I think it, it's very easy to get caught. I think in the machine learning talk and the artificial intelligence and the model building and things like that, and we're seeing it every day um, in the news and things like that. And it it does come down to how do you make this actionable? I think that's something that I and our group prides ourselves on is 
um, trying to provide objective information to not necessarily say, hey, this is the answer because soccer is a very fluid game and there is no right and wrong binary answer um, as in maybe a sport like baseball. However, I do think that we can provide a different um, thought process and a different thinking. The the eye of the coach um, during a game is not going to remember everything that happens. And if we start looking back across 10 games, they're really not going to remember what happens. And there's bias, bias and things like that that mm-hmm. come into it. Um, so trying to then be able to articulate through data, whether it's trends or whether it's um, key findings, just to start to ask questions and make coaches think differently. Um, I think that's something that we have done very well and we've built some visualizations. And a lot of that is bringing it back down to coaches' language. So something that I've found out in this space is that relationships are very important. So relationships with the coaches, with the general managers, with the sports scientists, because you're constantly learning from those experts and we're trying to cater the data to essentially answer their questions or ask additional questions on top of that. So continuing conversations and constantly having that, making sure that the models that we're building and the visualizations that we're building are going back to our game model and, and they go back to our principles that we're trying to implement um, because then we can objectively measure against that. Are we doing well? Or are we not doing well? Um, and I think that those conversations are invaluable because we're not the experts in everything. I, I'm not going to ever say that I'm an expert coach, um, but I do think that we provide just a different landscape. And also we're able to efficient make their processes more efficient. And I think that's something that um, we can try to knock down some of those barriers if there are some some hiccups along the way and, and they may not agree with everything that we're providing or showing, we can, at the end of the day, still make their lives more efficient and ensure that we're analyzing games in an efficient manner and we're looking at the right instances and we're not watching um, things that maybe don't have anything to do with, with what we might be coming up in our process. So I think those are definitely some of the ways that we do it. Um, and then we obviously are always looking forward to the bigger picture stuff. How can we add additional context? I think event data can get you extremely far and there's a ton of things that still are left unturned in that. Um, But how can we continue to provide additional context in terms of what's happening in terms of off the ball? Where are they pressuring? How are they pressuring? Um, How are teams set up in and out of possession and stuff like that? And that's where I think tracking data will continue to come in um, into play. It's just a matter of making sure that we're doing the 90% really well and we're not focusing on the 10% all the time, because I think that's where you can, sort of get lost and you can continually try to build out a model to try to make it perfect where the 90% accurate model may do the job already. Time for a short break, but before we do, here's a soccer analytics question for you. In Major League Soccer, Toronto FC and the Seattle Sounders were responsible for three of the last four MLS Cup matchups. Not surprisingly, they are both at the forefront of using analytics. Analysis tools have helped shed light on the value of various soccer analytics, such as team and player expected goals, goalkeeper expected goals, possession value, passing ability, and game state. On the defensive side of the ball, Ike Opara was the 2019 MLS Defender of the Year, but he made just 1.5 tackles per 90 minutes, ranking him only 22nd among center backs. If it wasn't plays on the ball that made him so good, what was it? Find out after the break. You know, in these unprecedented times, we're dealing with the world health crisis. I wanted to take a minute and shed some light on a serious issue that was with us before the health crisis and is still a big problem. And that is food insecurity. 
especially for kids. I just want to mention that if you can, please consider donating to a food bank. FeedingAmerica.org is a great website to find a food bank in your area. Okay, my question before the break. What was it about MLS Defender of the Year Ike Opara's play that made him so good? Analysis of Ike's defensive action shown on a heat map generated by Opta, the official data partner of MLS, seems to confirm it was all about his positioning. His positioning was so good, he didn't need to make many plays on the ball. Tackles and aggressively stepping to the ball are great to watch for the fans, but for Ike, it was positioning that is key to his success. Back to my discussion with Tyler Heaps, Director of Sporting Analytics with the U.S. Soccer Federation. So the competitive advantage is how you can best leverage asking the right questions of the data, because I think, and maybe you'll agree or disagree, that the competitive advantage you get is short-lived, and you kind of have to innovate and get on to the next thing and ask more questions of your data. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I definitely the competitive advantage comes into how you're implementing this and how your um, how your processes are improving from it. Is, is it just that? Because you can have all the shiny graphs in the world. If they're being used as a coffee cup holder, then you're mm-hmm. not essentially doing the job there. And so the ability for us to – and look, I don't, I'm not saying that data has all the answers. I think I'm the last one to say that. But the ability to influence conversations and to ask additional questions – um, and to make coaching staffs and everybody else just think a bit differently, I think that's a win. And, and as you can continue to have those conversations, that's where the data starts to become stronger and stronger. Boy, you're talking my language as a previous software engineering uh, manager and process engineering. Uh, I hear that word process came from you a couple of times. I think being able to have an effective and efficient process uh, is something, it sounds like that's, that's a big part of your job. Yeah. And I think our men's national team coach harps this all the time, but have a better plan and make a better plan. And I think it goes in correlates directly to data, right? Have a model and make a better model or have a visualization and make a better visualization. That old continuous improvement loop. Exactly. <laughs> it's yep. no different in the business world. Yeah. And the game is changing um, as we speak too. the way that the game is played is being changed. So how can we keep up with the constant change in the game? And that sometimes requires us to implement or change in the way that we're looking at certain metrics or our, pro- or our player profiles. Let's make sure that we're staying ahead of that trend because when we start talking about competitive advantage, how can we elongate that and make sure that it, we're staying on that, on top of that moving trend? Mm-hmm. So that leads me to what you see some of the biggest challenges are or areas of improvement, you know, as we go forward, uh, kind of where we're going and, and, and the trends. To, to kind of stay ahead of that curve. Yeah. I mean, now is probably a, a bad time to say this, but I would say that our biggest challenge or has been the biggest challenge is time. Um, and it's something now that it's a little bit of a luxury. So we're so constantly on the go. And so our group is myself. We've got four performance analysts and a data scientist, but myself and these four performance analysts are on the road with teams an awful lot. And it's very hard when you're on the road to try to implement new process and new findings and new models and things like that. So the ability now for us to all come back and, and be 
um, while we're on a video call, but still to be able to talk through some of this stuff has been big for us, but it's also been a massive challenge in the past. Um, and as I'm sure in any and in a lot of sport um, right now, the staffing sometimes in the analytics department is not always as as chalked up as you would like it to be. There's not a front end developer. There's not a always a data scientist. There's not always a um, data engineer or data architect. You never have enough resources. <laughs> exactly. So at that point, you've got to have people that are jack of all trades and you got to put on multiple hats. And that sometimes requires you digging into Google and learning things for a few days or a week or two mm -hmm. weeks, because that's just the way you've got to get on with it. And so I think that that um, has allowed us to, this time has allowed us to do some of that stuff. And, uh, and to make sure I know that when we're in camp, we spend so much time, there's certain things that just take a long time because they're a manual process. So how can we now implement and automate some of that stuff during this downtime? Um, so that would be the first one. And then I just think that there's, there's so many opinions within so many different teams at the federation level. It's about keeping everybody on the same page and, and making sure that those standards are in place um, and that there's buy-in from everybody. And that sometimes can be difficult um, in the way we work because one coach may see something one way and one the other way. And that doesn't mean we want to reinvent the wheel of how we're looking at things. So again, working with our um, sporting director and our GMs to make sure that we're all standardized and on the same process. And when everybody's going 100 miles per hour in a few different directions, sometimes that can be very challenging. So just trying to keep that in, in mind as we go about and as we do different things, um, because at the end of the day, we've got to be able to do um, I'm going to use this a lot, but we've got to be able to do the 90% really well. Um, and if mm -hmm. we don't, obviously, then we're going to be falling back and falling into the trap of just focusing on the 10%, which sometimes can and, and cannot make an impact. There's a team culture that has to exist that brings together, I probably say this every show, respectfully, the, the, da the data nerds and the wily old scout, or not, not old scout, but someone who, you know, uh, uh, provides their expertise with their eyes and what they're seeing. So it's building that culture in an organization where both those voices are heard and you're all pulling in the same direction. Yeah. And, and everybody's, I think, opinion matters there because when the more context you can pull in, whether it's objective information, whether it's subjective scores from your scouts, whether it's even subjective scores from media or things like that, the more data sources you can pull in, I think the better off you end up being because then you just provide more context around it and you're getting other people's ideas. And there are experts out there that are obviously providing this information. So how can we not only take that in, but also utilize it to help in our decision-making? So we, you touched on it a little bit uh, earlier and, and we mentioned earlier about coming back to this, but I'm curious about where you see we go in the future with how, technology and these tools and using this data starts to find its way down into to the lower levels in soccer. Yeah, I, I think that one, there's the data collection piece, obviously, and in soccer, when I'm talking about event data, it's largely driven by a, a little bit Is of it video, video analysis yep. more so or... Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I I think that video analysis, and you're starting to see it in the in the collegiate game. You're starting to see it more um, at the academy level and so forth. I've had a lot of really good conversations with whether it's academy directors or there's also full time analysts now in some of these academy levels. 
Um, some of that starts with standards, right? The standards in the leagues that are enforcing video to be collected, because if you don't have video, sometimes you can't do any analysis. Um, and we've also, as a federation, made very big um, investments in the youth game. So, for example, our third party data that is also doing every major league in the world is also collecting all of our youth games so that we have an apples to apples comparison and we're able to look at our U-17s in the build up to the World Cup and trying to see how they look compared to our senior team. Um, or we're trying to look how what their strengths and weaknesses are as we're preparing for a major tournament. And then we're also able to implement some of those processes at a, a major world tournament like a U-17 or U-20 World Cup because we're getting data on every single game um, that's being played. So that is a little bit. Um, we've also got whenever, obviously, there's these development academy games were being played. We have a, a number, we made a large investment in that area as well, so we can start to look at player pool pathway. What does that youth environment look like compared to the USL, which is Division Two, versus what the MLS looks like in Division One? So trying to objectively track that, what the player involvement looks like of somebody that may be playing with our youth national team, what they look like whenever a former player was in that same position to try to start to project out um, and, and to envision what that may look like in the future. So I do think there's a lot of uh, coaches are seeing the value in this, I think, more and more, especially in this new age. Video is a tool that is being used to teach, and, and it's something that obviously as the younger generation comes up and is used to, it's something that's just being expected these days. So yes, mm-hmm. there's, there's definitely a saying that I think that better analysts are, are challenging coaches because they're providing them more resources. And at the end of the day, better coaches make better players. So us as a federation are trying to utilize that to make sure that one, our analysts are very important because they're collecting and they're tagging and they're providing this video to coaches in the hopes that we're challenging our coaches to utilize it more to teach and to things like that. And then that information is getting to the players. And in the short amount of time that we have our players, how can we impact them? So I'm, I'm curious uh, if you're able to share what kind of video analysis tools do you use and the GPS system, if you're able to disclose that? I'm just curious. Yeah, at the uh, throughout the Federation, we use sports code for a video analysis tool, which is obviously mm-hmm. a whole product. Um, so we utilize that at the youth and the senior level, as well as our talent identification. Uh, people are also utilizing that. So we're standard in there. We try to create some internal Um, our group tries to create some internal education, um, around some of that stuff. Again, we go back to process. How can we make sure that our coaches are utilizing this efficiently? We don't need them to know all the fancy and shiny objects, but we do need them to know how to organize their clips very easily so that we can put together a presentation to show the team. Um, and then, and and have something stand, I guess, a standardized process and a standardized film clip package to make it easier to reproduce. Exactly. And, and just to make sure we're doing the same things right over and over again. So it's not a, a different, a different process. Reproducible. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then we also have a video telestration tool that we're putting on top of that to, to utilize in our meetings as well to, to do call outs. Obviously you see that a bunch on TV and things like that um, on Monday night football on match of the day and things like that. Um, and then GPS, we signed a deal with stat sports a few years ago to be our official um, wearable technology on field. Okay. So, we, again, when I talk about the youth landscape, all of our youth players are wearing those, our senior team's wearing those, so we can very easily look at it. We've created an internal drill tagging so that we can start looking at what that output looks like from an under-17 player to a senior player. 
um, from a from a male to a female. Um, so having that data and standardizing it has been big for us. And again, that comes back to the resources, right? Making sure that mm-hmm. we're working with um, our data engineer and also our data scientist has done a ton of work on that um, just to try to make sure that we not only are we collecting data, but we're collecting data that can be usable and actionable. That's great. So I have one more question for you and then I'll let you uh, get on out of here and get on with the rest of your day. But I like to ask all my guests this question and it's real simple. Uh, What advice would you have for someone seeking a career in sports analytics? Yeah, I think I've touched on this a few times and I do think that this time has has made me think more and more about this. And and at the end of the day, I think a major play in this is the relationships that you create Um, and the relationships and the conversations that you have with the coaches, because in order for anybody in analytics to be successful, you've got to be in with the coaching staff. If you're sitting in a different room and you're not involved in any of the conversations, you can, again, create as much cool and exciting things as you possibly want. But at the end of the day, I think where the reward comes in this space is, is seeing your work being used. So whether that's you're providing a weakness and all of a sudden you go out to training the next day and you're working on a finishing drill around that, like that to me is success. And that to me is to show that, hey, analytics is being used and the coaches are obviously valuing my opinion um, and, the, and the objective information that we're providing. So that's a big one. Understanding the game is also huge. I think um, constantly being involved in not only watching the game, but also trying to watch it from a different lens, that helps you in those conversations with your coaching staff. And then from a, from an analytics perspective, just taking feedback and criticism, like your model is never going to be perfect. And again, it comes back to, there's always going to be additional context that maybe a model doesn't take into consideration. Um, And so being able to be open for criticism and feedback, I think is something that is extremely important and to kind of let your ego go sometimes and mm. something that you show may not be perfect. And just to be able to constantly, again, have a plan and make a better plan around that, um, I think is very important in this space for sure. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Really good stuff. Well, Tyler, it's hard to believe that we are uh, almost 30 minutes into a discussion here. Uh, uh, I know it's going well when it goes so fast. So uh, you just a wealth of information. I want to thank you so very much for uh, taking the time out of your day to come on the show. And I'll just give you a, an opportunity to maybe have a few closing comments and uh, we'll get you on out of here. Yeah, Terry, look, I really appreciate it. I think it was a really good conversation. Um, and obviously as these times, um, we do have some more time. It's just about constantly trying to make our lives Um, and to improve some of the stuff that we're doing. And I, again, I thank you for your time and and hope that all is well on your end. Fantastic. Once again, Tyler, thanks a million. I appreciate it. And uh, please stay safe and well. Thanks, Terry. That does it for the show today. But before we wrap up, here are a couple of value bombs Tyler dropped that I want to highlight. Articulating through data how to help coaches think differently is something U.S. soccer prides themselves on doing very well. Relationships between the general manager, coaches, and sports scientists are very important to collaboratively make better processes for both game analysis and making the right data actionable, and then meeting the challenge for all staff to stay standardized on those processes. Given the lack of people resources, it's important that analytics staff can act as jack-of-all-trades. 
And last, the most important aspect for a career in sports analytics is about the relationships you create and the conversations you have with coaches. In order for anyone in analytics to be successful, you have to be in with the coaching staff so that your work can be used. You can find show notes, summaries, and resources mentioned on the show at my website, terrylfrederick.com. That's T-E-R-R-Y-L-F-R-E-D-E-R-I-C-K.com. Please subscribe to my show. I'm in all the directories. A rating or comment helps me make the show better. Thanks for listening.